Welcome to the first episode of Blue Tees Podcast. I'm Let's your host, go. Matt Luque. With Michael Luque. Um, today we are going to have Len Hossetter on as our inaugural guest of this podcast. And uh, our mission is to just learn. Um, we're really here to absorb and take in as much as we can from Len about his career as a as a chief marketing officer, as a Harvard MBA student, as a Lehigh undergrad student. Um, he has so many experiences that we're about to head into and uh, and lead foot into as uh, as we move into the workforce. Yeah, no, well said, Matt. Um, like Matt said, we're here to learn. We're here to share the knowledge of others. Uh, I'm super excited to hear so many different stories of that have happened through corporate America, through MBA programs, through other undergrad experiences, and share this wisdom with all these other fellow students, fellow young adults that are just starting their career as well, just like me as myself, as I'm getting ready to start mine. Um, I hope you guys find a, a lot of value out of it. Um, I think it's going to be a great experience and it's going to be a fun journey. I know Matt and I have a, at least 10 episodes lined up for you guys. To Ten start super off. special guests. Oh yeah, super special guests in the, within our heart, ranging from a huge variety of fields, I would say, huh, Matt? Yeah, it's going to be all over the place. We're going to try and, and tap into as many fields as possible. And, uh, and that's the point of this podcast, is to um, experience as much as we really can in 10 episodes um, and, and yeah. really delve into professional success. It's it's going to be diverse, guys. It's going to be real diverse, and you'll never know what to expect each episode. That's I'll give you that. So, uh, yeah. So, without further ado, we're going to welcome our first guest, Len Hostetter. All right, Len, thank you for being here for as our inaugural guest of our podcast, Blue Tees Podcast, um, with Michael and Matt. And today, we're just uh, we're super excited to have you on, and uh, Mike. Wouldn't will not shut up about how awesome your class is. So I'm thinking, uh, yeah, man, this guy is going to be perfect for our, our week one podcast. So high energy and ready to go. Great. Well, he buys me a lot of beer. That's why he likes it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, occasionally whiskey, but we'll see. Right. Oh, yeah. There we go. The premium stuff. Exactly. Well, so um, I'm just going to kick it off. Um, first question that I have for you is kind of lighthearted. Uh, you can have some fun with it. What is kind of like the craziest uh, job story that you have had? It could be your first career job, um, first job in general, um, sure. anything yeah. like that. Yeah. So <laughs> this was back at Cadillac and we all know when we're the newbie hire, you know, we're going to do all the grunt work, right? Right, right. You know all that, like all the stuff nobody wants to do. Well, I walk into the office on the first day and I'm in this little cube way in the back of the office. And the guy next to me who was hired about maybe two or three years before me, still in the cube. So obviously still doing the same job two to three years later with a big chip on his shoulders, not my boss, but he, thinks he's going to be my boss, right? Because we're like next to each other. Yeah. So he says, Len, he says, you're the new hire. You make the coffee. And I'm like, what the hell? I don't even drink frigging coffee. Right. So I was hacked. I mean, I was mad because I, I know that, you know, you do what you have to do. 
So I went and to make a long story short, I made that coffee. It came out of the coffee maker back on the, in the break area in our office. It came out, it oozed out like syrup. Yeah, just <laughs> disgusting. It was disgusting. So nobody ever asked me to ever make coffee. How, how did you do that? I, I put molasses. <laughs> I put molasses in it. Oh, my gosh. For some reason, some, some random reason. That's awesome. Molasses. <laughs> In the in the break area, and I thought, okay, well, that'll that'll make it a little thick. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. Nobody ever came, ever came to me, and then he. But you know, the funny thing is, and you know, we'll get on with it. But it was like something like every week with him. Like it's like, dude, you are not my boss. Right. Yeah. And I can't help it that you're, for whatever reason, not going anywhere in your career. So, and then what he used to do is he would also like, like try to delegate me his work. And, and he would, he would come over and he always uses this phrase. His name was Larry. And, you know, I was like, like 23 or 24. And he was like, you know, a little bit older, maybe closer to 30. But I had a chip on his shoulder. So he tried to delegate his work to me. And he'd always preface every time he'd say, this is a front burner project. And, and, it, and I said to him finally one day after about a month, because this is going on and on. I said, Larry, I said the word, but I won't say it on here. I said, how many effing burners are on your stove? I said, because you've given me about a dozen effing front burner projects over the last month. And I said, right. it's not even my work. It's yours. Yeah. So, you know, so he kind of like after that and the coffee, he kind of backed off. <laughs> right. Kind of found his place. Cause I thought you're not going to run over me, dude. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's a, that's an awesome. Story. Yeah. That was awesome. Great way to kick it off. <laughs> yeah. I, I hope I have the same problem. I'll just throw molasses in people's coffee when I first start at, at companies. Yeah. We'll so. never ask you to make it again. I promise. <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh, so Len, we have a, a a second question for you, and this is another another really light one. But um, Mike and I actually toured Lehigh University back in the day. Um, I really wanted to go there. Actually, yeah, Mike applied. was really into it. I was. Yeah, it, there's a lot of hills on Lehigh, right? Like it was. It's super up and down. Power and power cats. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> exactly. never you skipped leg day at the gym every every day. Oh my god! Yeah, it was unbelievable. Yeah, so I, that's what I. Those were kind of the two things I remember from Lehigh is that it was like super hilly and and then our tour guide would not stop talking about how this rivalry with Lafayette University was outliving the Harvard Yale you know rivalry. And as right. a guy who went to both schools, I just I, I want your two cents on that. Well, you know, that was a really great question, you know, to, uh, you know, to, uh, to pose to me since I went to both. And, you know, I'll tell you this, um, you know, this rivalry or the rivalry between Lehigh and Lafayette, I have to, I'm in that camp over Harvard, Yale. And that's I, I interesting. Think the, re 
the reason is a couple of reasons is that that um, geographically, I mean, Lehigh and Lafayette are only like 17 miles apart. Right. Yeah. 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 That's right. We, we toured both. And then Lafayette's in Easton versus Harvard and Yale is Boston, New Haven. So that's a few hours you know, difference. So you have that geographic. I mean, they're right there. And the reason that is so great is because you could do really crazy things before the game at the other campus. You know what I'm saying? Oh, uh, it's so it's almost like a high school game. It's like just being across like, across yeah, town. That's yeah. A great analogy. That's a great analogy. It's like a high school rivalry. Huh. So you could go you could go TP, you could go, you know, use paint. So yeah. what did, what did you do? Uh <laughs> You might have to tell us off the air. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, we'll, 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 uh, yeah, we'll, we'll save that for off the air. That's but, awesome. Uh, and at the time, I'll just say this, and this will suffice. Streaking was very popular. Right. <laughs> it was a different time. <laughs> it was different times. Cool. But, you know, but there's been so much, I mean, about the Lehigh Lafayette rivalry because, um, like, ESPNU has rated it or ranked it the uh, number eight rivalry in the, uh, you know, in the top 10 um, college football uh, rivalries. Um, there has been, uh, you know, documentaries and coverage about it. Not to say there hasn't with Harvard and Yale, but I just felt so connected into that being that we were so close to Lafayette. And then I had friends from high school, because growing up in Jersey, so many of us from my high school either went to Lafayette or Lehigh. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of added to the whole thing. So yeah. uh, so it's definitely I'm definitely down for Lehigh Lafayette. That's an awesome answer. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Cool. So uh so kind of just getting you out of school, you're twenty ish years old. Um what was the next move and what were some of the, the key decisions that you had to make early on in your career um, working for, for big companies like GM? Well, you know, I, I was very, very fortunate because, you know, my, my growing up, I'm an only child. Um, <clears throat> I, I grew up in an upper middle class lifestyle. I was very fortunate um, to have that. So I, you know, money was important to me because I thought, well, I like this kind of lifestyle that we live and I want to continue to live like this. So I, you know, wired myself into the fact, you know, what am I going to do, you know, so I can continue to live like this or even better. Not that like money is the end all be all, but I wanted to be comfortable. So, um, you know, when I figured out that I really liked and enjoyed marketing and understanding consumer behavior and that type of thing. Um, I really, you know, put myself um, into my job, you know, and my first job was a Cadillac and I was in kind of a marketing role um, doing like promotions and the, the one kick ass job I had for the first year year and a half while I was there is I did all the auto shows and new car announcement shows. Oh. So here I am like a 23 year old kid traveling around the country, single going to all these auto shows and announcement shows, setting the cars up, hiring the talent, you know, all the models on the turntables, you know, 
you know, scheduling and booking like the executive dinner, staying at the Ritz Carlton. Wow. That's I mean, awesome. Yeah. That's not a bad gig for being 20 something on an expense account. Right. Yeah. So, and there was a lot of visibility I had because the importance of the announcement shows and auto shows. So that really, I think it was a blend of my really enjoying like the sales marketing aspect. I like automobiles. I'm into that. And then I really found an appreciation for networking because like, unlike my peers, this job afforded me an opportunity. I mean, I would meet with the president of General Motors, you know, yeah. because, you know, he'd come by and say, hey, great job on the setup or well done on the dinner. I mean, most people didn't get to meet or know on a first name basis, you know, the president of a Fortune 50 corporation. Oh, yeah. yeah. And um, so I really grooved on it and I, you know, and, and I, I did well, I was all in, you know, full send or whatever, but all in on it and, um, and realized that, you know, um, I found a good foundation to kind of go from there and, you know, kind of continue to look at other people, finding mentors in the company, looking at other people who were maybe you know, out 10 years from me, what did they do to get, be successful? And, you know, I, I kind of modeled that type of behavior. So, um, you know, so. So when you were modeling this behavior, was this looking at a specific person or is this just your lifestyle, like you said, prior where you had maybe your father, maybe something, um, just growing up? Well, I guess it was a blend of both because I knew I wanted what I had growing up you know, in terms of a lifestyle. And I know that the people who were, who were mentoring me had that and they were 10 years ahead. Yeah. So it was kind of like bridging from life with mom and dad to going out on my own and how do I make it on my own and make enough money to live on my own like I was accustomed to when I lived with my folks. Right, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Of course. Cool. So, uh, yeah. Do you want to take this next one, Mike? Yeah, I got it. Um. So uh, obviously you went to Harvard for your M MBA here. Um, what kind of drove that? What made you decide? First off, what made you decide Harvard, and what made you decide to go to get your MBA in general? Yeah, well, it kind of ties back to the last thing we were talking about because when I was looking at people who are ten years out from me, like ten years older, what I was noticing at General Motors was a ticket to have to get punched to get into senior levels of the organization was obtaining your MBA. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was like a ticket to the party. It's like, if you didn't have an MBA, you weren't going to get there. Would you say that's still true to this day? No. Yeah. Okay. No. And, and I think there's different reasons for that, but, um, but it was definitely true back then. And, and I, what it is, I had, it was, so, I was so fortunate because General Motors had this fellowship program and out of the thousands of employees that would apply to get a full ride on an MBA program where GM would pay for it, thousands of applications, they would select 90 students, 90 employees every year. And what they did for me, paid all my tuition paid half my salary and gave me a car while I went to and for my MBA for two years. Holy I, wow. 
And then I had a contract with the company to stay for two years, at least afterwards. So like the payback and why Harvard is because one of the, there's a lot of different criteria that you had to meet to, to, to be selected. And one of them was you could, there were only eight MBA programs that you could apply to where they would sponsor you. And if you didn't get in to one of the eight schools, you couldn't, they wouldn't do it. Right. And I applied to three schools. I applied to Dartmouth, Harvard, and Northwestern. And I did not get into Dartmouth, but I got into Harvard and Northwestern. And then it was just like a no brainer. It was like, how could I get into the friggin' Harvard Business School and not go there? Yeah, and take yeah, a pass. Yeah, of course. You know, because it's so prestigious, and and so there was no friggin' way that I was not going to go to Harvard. Yeah. And um, but they were all top tier MBA programs: Wharton, Stanford. You know, I mean, they were all you had to get in. Yeah. But that yeah. was one of the criteria. So. So I knew that this MBA, you know, looking at my career at General Motors, assuming I'm going to be there long term, that I had to get this MBA. And I thought this is the way to go, like this prestigious, you know, world renowned MBA program. And that was an easy decision once I got in there. So to kind of follow up on what Mike was asking about, I mean, when so in a in a similar situation um, and and bring it to current day, you probably it sounds like wouldn't recommend going the MBA route. No, that's not right. I mean, I wouldn't say not recommending the yeah. MBA route, but I think there's a couple things. One is I think what's different in the psyche of uh, business today is that there is a tremendous amount of value placed on practical experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that I think in some cases, the perception in business is that the MBA programs are not what they're cut out to be, that you may come out with all this book knowledge, but that weighed against practical experience, I think there's more of a a consideration or more weight maybe given to the practical experience. But my advice would be this. I didn't go for the MBA. One of the requirements to apply for this GM fellowship, the MBA program, was that you had to have worked for like three years. Yeah, yeah, and that typically that's the case. Go. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And 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 I, with, there are some exceptions, but like when students talk to me about an MBA program, I strongly encourage that they get work experience first. Yeah. And the reason is, is because when you're in a rigorous MBA program and you have that work experience behind you and you're talking like we were all case study method at Harvard. But when you're talking about situations and scenarios in business, you know, a lot of times you can sit back and say, ah, I remember exactly when I was in that situation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you don't have the work experience behind you, then it's just like what you've read or what you've been fed because you haven't experienced it. And that is really important to your ability to learn in the program, but also contribute to the learning of others because you do have that practical experience. And I think that my belief is that, hey, if anybody got into Harvard, Stanford, any of these top MBAs and you could afford it or whatever, hell, go for it. 
Yeah. I mean, that's so prestigious and, and it's a great education. But I think the NBA has become a little diluted because, in my opinion, there's been a lot of fly-by-night NBA programs that are out there now. And I think that's what businesses are kind of questioning, like what's what's the real value? Yeah. Because, and not, not to diminish online or anything like that and online education, but I promise you, online MBA is not a Harvard MBA. Yeah, oh, I'm sure. <laughs> when you're there in person. No, no way. Yeah. No way. Yeah. You know. I've heard that. That's uh, that's interesting that you say that as well with the business experience specifically, how you need to be able to link your experiences with, with your with your program. And, you know, when students will say, like, should I go for an MBA? I think there's only a like an MBA, like right out of college, right out of undergrad. I think the only one of the only reasons to do it is if you're still not sure what the hell you want to do with your life and you need to buy more time. Yeah. You know, no, that's a, that's a good point. Then you might go for it, but otherwise, you know, get the, get the work experience. So, um, so yeah, once you became certified with your NBA at Harvard and you went back to GM, um, what were kind of your biggest takeaways after that through that whole experience? Well, I, I, I guess a few things. Um, one is um, I definitely honed a strategic mindset at yeah. Harvard. Yeah. It's, you're talking about business strategy. I mean, we did 576 case studies in two years. Wow. Jeez. And you're always, you're always in the C-suite. You're the CEO, the chief operating officer, the chief marketing officer, the chief information officer. You're always reading the case from that perspective. Mm-hmm. So you're having to make your decisions and your recommendations. It's because the question is, what are you going to do? That's always the question at the end of the case. And what I found was that it really piqued my interest. That really drove me into uh, an appreciation for the strategic opportunity that a career in marketing presents. Because like, if you think of marketing and sales, sales is very tactical, day-to-day, make the sale, you know, get the revenue. But like, if I'm out there selling cars, right? If I'm a, and I was a district sales and service manager after I graduated from Harvard, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I was in a, a sales function. And there's issues and problems with product design and quality. And I thought, wow, with what I learned from my Harvard MBA and understanding our products and customers, if I moved into like a strategic marketing position at Cadillac, then I will have the ability to influence the design and marketing of products so that we can do a better job of creating a value proposition with the right products to get younger for us, get younger buyers into buying a Cadillac and make it cool again. That, so yeah. I was all about that. And, you know, when I waited, I was much more interested in that than sales. Okay. And, and I'd say the other thing that I get gained from the Harvard MBA program was just the ability to network and connect with people and build relationships because it's an intimidating environment. I mean, you're working, I mean, I was magna cum laude at Lehigh. I was top 5% in my class. Well, at Harvard and an MBA program, you're like with all the geniuses of the world. Yeah. So you have to learn how to hold your own and you, you build the relationships and network that, you know, I talk about with my students how important it is that serve you well in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so 
So you also held um, some different positions. Um, it looks like with Thomas and Betts, um, and and specifically, why were why were you only interested in being at that particular role at, for one year? Well, I was actually at Thomas and Betts. It was one position, but I was there at Thomas and Betts actually for about two and a half, three years. Oh, gotcha. Um, okay. But <laughs> the reason why I was only interested in being there. Is because they got fired. Oh, gotcha. And I admit huh. it. I own it. And the reason is, I mean, it was through, you know, it's easy to like, oh, take it all personally. But the lighting division I was with, they decided to sell it off. And I was in the first round of cuts uh, because the company who acquired our lighting group only wanted the physical plant and assets. They didn't want the people. But it was uh. a blessing because, or it was fortunate, I should say, because... I really didn't like the company culture and I didn't like my job, but I'm the type of person who has a lot of grit. So it's kind of like, okay, boss, kick me harder. I can take it. Yeah. You know, yeah. Throw, throw a bunch of shit at me and I'll take it. I can take the crap. So it was really good because it forced me to make a change. And that's when I want to went on to um, FedEx, but I really didn't like that job, but it was good knowing that because never again would I ever, settle for something I didn't really enjoy in my career. And I learned that lesson from that. Yeah. Work. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah, now moving forward to, to FedEx here, uh, a question that I had was, I know that Kinkos and FedEx merged. Right. Um, well, we were we acquired Kinkos. Okay. Yes. Um, FedEx acquired, Kinkos. acquired. And my kind of question was like, what it was the corporate decision? Like what were the pros and cons of that? As well as, how did that acquisition affect your department as well? So, uh, yeah, the first part of that question, Michael, are you asking like, what was the business rationale for acquiring Kinko's? Yes. Okay. So here's the deal in a nutshell. Incredibly competitive landscape and the business to consumer strategy was taking off with all this e-commerce you know, purchasing now, right? That's going mm -hmm. on that we see globally today. And to succeed, we needed a retail network where individual consumers like you and I could go ship a package or pick up a package. Well, it's very costly from a, take a greenfield approach and go build your own retail storefronts, right? Mm -hmm. So we decided to acquire Kinko's because they had 2000 stores around primarily in the United States retail storefronts. And all we would need to do is put a shipping counter in there. I'm, mini I'm minimizing the complexity of this. Yeah, yeah. Stick a shipping counter in, train some people, and then you could ship and, you know, hold packages and pick them up. Mm -hmm. And very profitable business because most of the individual consumers like, you know, maybe you all and others who use retail establishments like that with UPS, like the UPS store, a lot of these people do not have accounts. They're not frequent shippers. They're infrequent shippers, meaning they don't get discounts. And the Revit is their very profitable uh, business for us. So we went ahead, we did the acquisition, um, but along with um, acquiring Kinko's, there was baggage because they have all this print copy stuff, sign and banners, faxing, meeting conference room. 
stuff that's not about shipping and logistics. Mm -hmm. And in general, uh, so I don't get myself in trouble here, but let's just say that the profitability of the shipping more than offset any offset any margin challenges we had on other aspects of the business. Yeah. So yeah. that's why it made sense to um, to acquire them because we have UPS stores out there and you know there's 6000 of them I think in the US. So we needed to you know build our retail footprint because from a marketing perspective you know, the e-commerce was growing and we needed a business to consumer strategy and a retail footprint was a very important part of that. So how did it affect the second part of your question? I think was how did it affect me or my department? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the department expanded greatly because now we had this new whole expanded retail. I mean, we had a little bit of a retail presence in marketing and my staff, but we really grew it. But the biggest challenge, too, in that second part of your question is when one company acquires another, typically the biggest challenge is the assimilation of the cultures. Yeah. And we were two very different cultures, FedEx and Kinko's. And that created a lot that created for a lot of work. And I'll just say the headline, either get on the train or go find another job because we acquired you. This is the way the train's going. So you either get on board or go find somewhere else to work. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's, uh, I've heard that frequently with companies that merge, even our dad as well. So, um, so you kind of climbed the ladder a little bit at, at one, I shouldn't say a little bit at FedEx. Um, you moved up a, a, in a couple different positions. Um, I'm curious though, what was, uh, because you, you've, you've mentioned this strategic mindset that you had at, at coming out of Harvard. Um, I'm interested how that mindset and kind of really, I, I just would want to break that down because kids our age are, are wanting, I think, um, desperately to find different ways to, to, um, just as you had, um, embrace that mindset coming out of college. Um, so how was, how, what was really your mindset moving up the ladder? And then, um, specifically what, what were all of the aspects of that? Well, if I'm understanding your question correctly, if you're looking at this and you're saying, okay, yeah, at the end of the day, what I want to do is I want to move my career forward. I want to get promotions. I want I wanted to be my goal is to be an officer of a Fortune 50 company, which I achieved. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. again, going back, I want to make some money. I want to have a nice life. You know, I have a healthy ego. I don't think a bad ego, but a healthy ego. Um, and I wanted to help FedEx to be successful because I love FedEx. Yeah. And I think what you have to do to get there. Um, you know, there's always politics and stuff. I mean, that always happens, but, and I'm not a very political person, but, um, I can play the politics when I have to, but I don't like to. Um, so what I did was I realized that in a very respected corporation, large corporation with a lot of smart people, you have to decide how are you going to stand out? Sure. I have my Harvard MBA. 
Um, through my career at FedEx, I had I demonstrated the ability in my in my jobs to be both tactical and strategic. You know, kind of have both mm-hmm. mindsets. But to move forward, I knew I had to be exceptional in my the job that I did, my you know seven to five job every day that I had responsibility for. But I also had to demonstrate to the organization and to my superiors and to leadership that I was capable of more. Mm-hmm. So the two opportunities when I make, had my first big promotion at FedEx, what sealed the deal for me was they came to me because of my background, my experience, my credentials, you know, respected, liked. They said, UPS is going to go on strike. Len, you're leading the strike contingency plan for how FedEx is going to handle all the additional volume that's going to come our way, package volume, when UPS strikes and they're not taking packages. That was friggin' huge. Yeah. Right? For a global company. Yeah. And that was me. I was the project manager for that. And I worked on it for a year. So basically, I delegated my seven to five job to one of my employees, one of my direct reports. I said, you're handling all aspects of this, my job every day, except for the confidential HR performance appraisals, things like that, that you can't do. And then I was full time on this. Mm -hmm. And then right after we got through that, a promotional opportunity came up and they told me this is your promotion to lose because I had that. So then the next time, the next opportunity, so I moved up. Then the next opportunity was the the acquisition at Kinko's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they said, you're going to be on the, uh, you know, you're going to be a part of the team to drive the acquisition. And then once the acquisition's complete, you're responsible for integrating the whole Kinko's operation into our retail marketing, you know. Then that meant I had four months to get shipping capabilities and training done in 2000 Kinko's locations in four months. Wow. So again, you're working with engineering operations, people I typically wouldn't work with. And then again, that got done. Promotional opportunity came up to that officer job that I was looking for to be a VP. And they said, again, yours to lose, dude, you know, because you did a great job on this integration. And then I got promoted to, you know, the VP of marketing position, which I, you know, was at for many years and then retired from before I came to NAU. Right. Yeah. So what would be like, like a mindset? Obviously I'm graduating this here in a couple of weeks uh, and I'm going to be starting out my career here soon. I mean, really at the end of the day, I've grown up working hard and, and everything, what for the other average person that may it's in the same boat for me, are there any specific things that you recommend to do when you start your career um, to maybe like start the mindset on the right foot? Um, when you say, what do you mean by starting the mindset on the right foot? I, I guess just not like um, kind of more of like, how do I get, started with the um aspect get traction yeah exactly because i'm gonna be at the bottom obviously you need to work hard and everything and i'll admit right now you could say that within my generation there is a lack of worth work ethic and um and so 
just kind of like what would you recommend for an an undergraduate student that's going to be starting their career? Well, every company, every organization, wherever you go to work is going to be different. You have to look around you at your competition, mm -hmm. right? Once you have the job, you're in, you, you've been hired and you have a whole cadre of people who are looking for that first promotion, right? How do you differentiate yourself? Yeah. How do you offer? It's just like what we talk about, Michael, like in class all the time, you know, I talk about the branding. How do you offer? What is your personal value proposition that is really going to resonate with the company or organization that you're going to work with or you're working for that's going to differentiate you from the others and and then perform, deliver results, exercise great business acumen, meaning that you you know how to behave, you know the culture of the company, you know it's acceptable, you know it's not. Find a couple mentors, network in an authentic and genuine way so that you're a known quantity. Mm -hmm. And then show that you're capable of more. And that was my point earlier on the last question. When I had to do the UPS strike planning and the, and the Kinko's acquisition, I was much more than just a marketer. And I demonstrated that I had the ability to do that with some coaching and guidance. But you know, so I stood out, you know, and they're yeah. looking at me and this is leadership material because mm -hmm. leaders are not one trick ponies. Yeah. So, you know, like, you know, so differentiate yourself. What's your edge? What's your advantage? Do well, head in the game, work hard, get to know the people in your organization, deliver results. That's what, that's, I think what gets the traction to get you going. And then to say, we need to promote Michael. Yeah you know, versus Matt or versus somebody else, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, so my next question is, uh, is looking, uh, we noticed, um, when you sent some of some, some of the materials into us, um, for our podcast that you got a teaching certificate at UT Dallas. Um, and it's a coaching certificate. or a coaching certificate. Yeah. Um, and uh, I just was wondering kind of what was the motivation behind that um, and what were, in a word, some of the things that you learned there? All right. So like the backstory on that. From the time I graduated Lehigh, right, way back in 1981, from 81 until when I retired in, let's say, 2015, I taught at community college and at four-year colleges on and off for about 10 years. Cause I like to give back. I like that environment. And I knew years ago that my encore career was going to be teaching mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that I realized quickly that the value I would bring into the classroom was the practical experience that I had in business. So, I thought, well, maybe I should go and be an executive coach, you know, because they get paid a lot of money. Yeah. Executive oh, yeah. They, yeah. These are like senior officers in companies. And I have a Harvard MBA. I had all the credentials. And I thought, well, maybe I should become an executive coach in my encore career. And um, so I went to the University of Texas, Dallas, because they have an outstanding program. It was synchronous online for a year to get certified as a coach. And, but then I ended up, I thought maybe I'll open my own practice, right? My own coach, you know, 
professional coaching practice. But then I thought, well, I'm kind of leaving out the teaching. But what I realized when I went through the coaching is that it could help me even be a better teacher. Because, you know, Michael, if students come into my office and say, I don't know what the hell I want to do with my career, rather than like being a mentor or saying, well, this is what I did and this is what you should do. The coaching uh, certification and that whole process and education gave me uh, the insight to know what types of questions to ask to help people answer the questions themselves or guide them. Yeah. So I thought this was a great blend with the teaching and it would complement it really well. So, um, so I decided, ah, the heck with starting my own practice. I'll go get hired somewhere at a four-year university. And going back to the whole money thing I talked about earlier, one of my goals I didn't say was I said, by the age of 55, not that I would pull the trigger, but I wanted to financially be in a position to do whatever the hell I wanted to do and leave corporate if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. And I got there. I was ready. So I, if I wanted to go surf the rest of my life, that's what I could do. You know, if I wanted to go. You got the hair for it. What's that? <laughs> I said you got the hair for it. Yeah, right. Yeah, the surf. So if, I, if I wanted to go live on the road to Hana and Hawaii for the rest of my life, I wanted to be able to do that at age 55. Yeah. But I discovered that's not what I wanted, and I wanted to teach. So I came back. I, I you know, NAU looked at my credentials. They said, oh, my God, you know, you have teaching experience. You have a Harvard MBA, Fortune 50 company. You're an executive and professional coach. You can interact with the students, help them with the career choices, guidance, things like that. You know, I interviewed, they said, you're the whole package and I got hired and this is the best job of my life. That's awesome. So, yeah. so why did you choose NAU too? Well, you know, there's, um, well, okay. So I was looking at opportunities, you know, here's the bottom line. I could go in as a part-time adjunct instructor at ASU. No mm-hmm. problem. You know, they have an overload. They need somebody to teach it come on in, we'll pay you $4,000, you know, for the semester and you do it. And that's what I did when I taught on and off for 10 years. It was a nighttime thing. You know, here's four grand for the semester, teach the students. You're not really in the environment of the university other than going up, going there, showing up to teach and leaving. And I wanted more than that. I wanted my full-time benefits, you know, Hey, public knowledge, my compensation here is 90 grand a year. And my, you know, and, 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 and the deal is this, you know, I found out I wanted that what's important to me is to keep a youthful spirit. Maybe I'm not living on the road to Hana, but I sure want to sure as hell want to feel and think like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're surrounded by it all, all, being all day. 20 somethings. Right. So these upper echelon schools, though, they will not hire you into teaching full time unless you have a terminal degree, which in my discipline in marketing means a PhD. Well, I will tell you, there was no effing way I was going for my PhD after going through a Harvard <laughs> MBA. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. No way, not. I was done, 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 done. So you get these mid-tier schools, and I don't mean that in the slide, just as a description, you know, like NAU, and we wanted to come out to Arizona, tired of humidity, you know, my wife and I, you know, liked it out here and I applied and I, you know, and it, it, it just worked out. I came and visited. It was a great fit. And, um, you know, so here I am. 
And, uh, you know, and it, it just, you know, I may be 62 years old, but I feel like I have the mind of a 35 year old. I, I would agree with that. So, <laughs> well, thank you. I'll take that as a compliment. So that's actually, that fits perfect with my next question. Um, and it's, uh, it was, it was just asking about your early twenties and how you're, you know, looking back at your whole career. Um, and, and if you look back all the way to 1981, you graduated and, uh, and how your mindset has evolved. And it sounds like, um, you've really tried to, like you say, you keep that youthful aspect of it for sure. Um, but how, what would your response be to that? Um, how is your, how has your mindset evolved corporate, you know, in corporate America and also just personally? Um, I, I believe that, um, I have become a much more open-minded person over the years from where I was. Cause I grew up in a different generation than you. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember the race riots in the late sixties and the Vietnam war and, you know, heroin and cocaine prevalency in high school. I mean, you know, I, I remember all that, you know, and I would be more judgmental, but because I've had the opportunity to work with, you know, particularly at FedEx, very diverse um, peers and a very diverse employee base. And here at the university, the student body being so diverse, um, I think I've grown to be much more open-minded, less judgmental and accepting and and I definitely, because of the confidence that I gained that builds over time when you make good decisions in business and you're successful with the decisions you make and you're successful with the, with your career, however you define that, you get to be much more comfortable in your own skin, which is a good thing. And I would always, I came to be the one who would say what people wouldn't want to say, like, let's call it out what it is. Mm-hmm. And I had the confidence and the credibility and the connection to do so uh, because I was respected and not always liked. And that's one thing I learned too. It's okay. Ideally, you love to be, everybody, most people want to be respected and liked. But I learned to settle for respect alone. You don't have to like me, but I want you to respect me. Yeah. And, um, and I've just gone, I mean, I am... 100% comfortable in my own skin. And, you know, that's, that's kind of how I've, you know, evolved. And, and when you're like that, you can say no, or you speak up and you're the dissenting voice when everybody else doesn't agree. And you really don't give a flip. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. you're just your motivation, my motivation, it's not a personal gain, but you're trying to do what's right for the organization or the people around you take a stand and, and people, people respect that. They may not like it, but they respect it. Yeah, no, that's, that's a, a great, that's some really good advice. I think moving for, um, just moving out of college. Awesome. Yeah. Um, well, so that, that's all that we have for you today. Uh, we really appreciate you taking this time, uh, and doing this and, uh, for allowing us to share your knowledge and share your story. Um, as I said, I call your class story time with Len. I love it. And um, it's definitely my favorite class through this whole pandemic. And uh, one class I can definitely say I feel connected with. And uh, so I, I want to thank you for that. And thank you for coming on. I know my brother's 
um, very, very appreciative as well. So yeah, Len, it's a, it's a real pleasure to meet you. And, uh, and like I said, my brother speaks so highly of you for a reason. Um, you're, you seem like a great guy and have some, so much, uh, great advice for young students like us. And that's kind of our mission at this podcast is, you know, we're not here because we're professional podcasters. We're here because we want to learn, um, and, uh, and take experiences from people that we respect and admire specifically in FCB, um, and, and use that to uh, propel us forward into the, into the workforce. Well, I appreciate the opportunity uh, to, you know, to be a part of this, your inaugural podcast. And, you know, thanks for the kind words and, and, and all, and I appreciate it. And, you know, at this point, you know, it's all about the give back. I mean, yeah. you guys got your whole life ahead of you. And, you know, so whatever our generation can do to help you get off on the right foot, you know, that's what, that's what I want my legacy to be. You know? Yeah. No, and we're very appreciative, so thank you. Absolutely, guys. All righty. Well, uh, well, thank you again, and uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll connect as I, as I get a little bit older into the business college, as I get to my junior year. I'll see you around. Anytime. I'm here as a resource. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Len. We'll talk All right. soon. You guys take care. Bye-bye. Bye.